This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Those of us who were blessed to be raised in a Christian home, in a home where as it was with me, the Baptist preacher is your father, (laughs) will readily understand what I mean when I say that there are a lot of impressions we received during early childhood years make a lasting impression on our lives. One such privilege, which was often mine during those formative years of my life, was going to a place in North Carolina right out of Asheville called Ridgecrest. We went there each summer. One of the outstanding preachers I remember from Ridgecrest days was J. Winston Pierce. He once made a statement, the truth of which has come to be increasingly clear to me through my own life experiences. He said, life is made great by its giant hours, not by its pygmy years. Don't we all have those giant hours in our lives? Those hours when the course of our life has changed drastically. Maybe hours that we recall in our memory that still continue to have definite bearing on the present. One such hour for me came during my high school days and I went back to Ridgecrest to work on the staff for the summer. It was a year or two before that that I had walked down a long aisle at Ridgecrest and I had surrendered my life for what we then called vocational Christian service but I did not yet know that God would be calling me to preach. I was quite familiar with the situation with the auditorium at Ridgecrest because that was where I worked. I was called an auditorium boy. I was one of a crew of several other young boys who moved chairs, swept floors, picked up trash, and tried to keep the conference leaders from Nashville happy by assisting them in setting up their conference rooms. I was quite at home in the auditorium until one evening. On one Sunday morning during one of the busiest weeks of the summer, we called it training union week back in those days, they came up with the idea of having several of the staffers to speak briefly in the evening service. The subject of these three-minute talks was all to be the same subject, my purpose holds. The ones who spoke were to give their testimony how God had called them and how he was still working in their lives And even though they didn't know all the details of where God would lead, they could say, my purpose holds. We had a lady from South Carolina who worked with a group that we used to call intermediates. And she knew our family rather well. Uh, Her husband and my father were good friends. So consequently, when Mrs. James Howard needed a staffer to make one of these talks, she asked me, In a moment of temporary insanity, I agreed. (laughs) I cannot describe the anxiety I felt as a high school kid speaking to some 3,000 people that Sunday night. Mrs. Howard had assured me she was going to be praying for me as I spoke. Well, that really helped. I also tried to remember all the things I'd been told about how to keep calm before an audience. Things like, don't worry if your knees knock. You worry if they start missing. (laughs) Well, when I rose to speak that Sunday night, I saw the sea of faces out there. But out of all that host of people, 
there was only one person who stood out above all the rest. Ruth Howard, the woman who had asked me to speak, had come early that night and she had found a seat in the balcony to my right on the front row just where the balcony begins to curve. As I made my talk, she leaned forward, soaking in every stumbling word I said. I cannot tell you what that meant, to have somebody in the balcony cheering me on. That giant hour in my life made clearer what Joyce Landorf meant when she talked about the balcony people in her life, those who give the healing antidote of affirmation rather than the lethal poison of rejection. These balcony people in your life, the affirmers, are those who accept you not for who you are or for what you have accomplished, but simply because you are. These balcony people in your life understand that success is not how far you get, but the distance you travel from where you begin and what happens along the way. That beautiful bonding between you and your balcony people is like the bonding which happens when a doctor puts a newborn baby, still wet from birth canal, upon the mother's bare breast. The mother affirms her newborn baby, not for what that infant has done or achieved, but because simply the baby is. Wouldn't it be great if you could have that kind of acceptance, that affirmation and encouragement? What would it do to you to know that somebody's in your balcony cheering you on? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe there is someone in your balcony cheering you on. Would you believe it if the Bible said so? Now, we know that there are differing, uh, conflicting interpretations about Hebrews 12, verse 1, where we read about the cloud of witnesses all around us. Yes, these heroes of the faith from chapter 11 are bearing witness to us that God can see us through. But could it not also say to us that these witnesses, martyrs, are in our balcony cheering us on? Who are they? I like the way Bill Hendricks describes them. Come along with me now. And let's take a look at who's in your balcony. Well, over there is Abel, Hebrews 11.4. When you see the blood stains on his garment, you remember that he was murdered by his own brother of all people. But Abel is there saying, come on, you can do it. You can live the life I didn't get to live. Do what I didn't have a chance to do because a brother stopped the way. Are you suffering right now because of the way some member of your family is not right with God? Abel is in your balcony, reminding you that you can make it, even though you carry that heavy burden. Come on, you can do it. Who's that on the back row in the balcony? Oh, you might not recognize him since he doesn't call attention to himself very much. He, he did have a son who lived a pretty good while, but his son died. This man didn't. In his own quiet way, Enoch, that's Hebrews 11, verses 5 and 6, Enoch is saying to you, come on, come on. It's not as bad as you think. You can make it. Some smart aleck sitting beside him says, well, it's easy for you to say that, Enoch. You didn't have to die. But he did know how to live. He believed in God, and he believed that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
Enoch helps me because I need to be reminded of that sometimes too. Though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. Who else? Oh yeah, over there on the other side of the balcony is Noah. It's not hard to recognize him. His beard is still wet. It's good to see that he's sober though. You know he was the first drunk mentioned in the Bible, don't you? Genesis 9, 21. Somebody says he was also the first successful businessman in the Bible. His stock was afloat while everybody else's was liquidated. You remember about Noah. He started building a big boat, big enough to accommodate a flood. Can't you imagine the jeering, the ridicule, the snide remarks he had to endure from the corrupt people of his day? Noah sits there in the balcony, your balcony, and he says, Come on, you can make it. I know what it's like to try to serve God when nobody else understands you. Sure, they criticize your motives. They make fun of you behind your back. They call you everything except a child of God. Come on, Noah says. You can make it. Who else is in your balcony? That looks like a husband and wife sitting over there together. Oh, yeah, yeah, you remember him. In fact, when you think of faith, his name comes to your mind. His name is Abraham, Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. Now you talk about hard. Not only do I want to know where I'm going when I move, but I also want to know what kind of house we're going to live in, how the deacons feel about me and my family, and maybe incidentally what the salary is going to be. We ask God, where are you leading me? Why don't I understand fully all the details? But God says, just trust and obey. And Abraham calls out to us from his place in the balcony, oh, please do what God says. He won't let you down. You think you have it hard? My beautiful wife here, Sarah, and Sarah interrupts him at this point to say, come on, you can do it. You wouldn't believe what happened to me. Don't get discouraged. You can, you can almost see a smile on Sarah's face as you remember her story. A little boy was born, and it was such a miracle for Abraham and Sarah to have a child in their old age that they laughed for joy and disbelief, and yet it was true. They even named their little boy Laughter, Isaac. Isaac, he's, he's there in the balcony too. Verses 17 through 19 of Hebrews 11. Isaac says, come on. I had to carry a load of wood up the mountain for a sacrifice, and you don't have to carry a burden like I did. You say you don't know what the future holds? You think I knew why I was carrying that wood up the mountain? No. But just as God provided for me, so he will for you. He's the same today as he was back in my day, you know. Come on, you can do it. In Hebrews 11, verse 20, read, And Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Is that right? You remember that Isaac blessed Jacob by deception, what about blessing Esau? If you look closely, you'll see Esau there in the balcony, too. He's sitting behind his brother Jacob because he was finally willing to make up with his brother. Are you surprised to see Esau here in the balcony? What does he have to say? He's telling you that you can learn to play second fiddle if that's the place God has for you. Oh, how shallow the music would be if everybody played first fiddle. Esau has a message for the person in your church. Wouldn't be the pastor, would it? 
who says, I don't want our church to be a democracy. I want it to be a theocracy. And I'm going to be Theo. Esau says, come on. You can find joy in the place where God's planted you. Come on. You can make it. I understand your feelings. But more importantly, God understands how you feel. And he knows your address. Who else is there? Oh, yeah, there's Joseph. Hebrews eleven twenty two. Joseph says, you think you're travel, you travel a whole lot? Let me tell you my story. I've done some traveling in my time. Even when I was dead, my bones kept traveling with my people. That's in Joshua 24, verse 32. Talk about temptation, Joseph says. I know all about that, too. Once there was a woman, influential, good-looking. You remember what she said to me? You've read the scriptures, haven't you? Genesis 39, verse 7. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Now, that's what you call the direct approach, I think. Come on, says Joseph, you can resist that temptation. God is the same today as he was back in my day. He gave me strength to resist, and he'll do the same for you. Don't give in. You can be strong. Come on. You can make it. Over there on the other side of the balcony is Moses. And beside him is his mother and his sister Miriam, who sang the song of triumph, who leads the choir. You're not surprised to find some musicians there in your balcony, are you? Well, you shouldn't be. Moses chose not to claim a place which he could well have taken, the grandson of Pharaoh. And you know how grandparents are about their grandchildren. Moses gave up all the treasures of Egypt. And there he sits in your balcony. And he says, come on. Pass by the treasures, the statues, the gold, the glitter. They're just things. Come on, there's something better. Oh, it would always be easy now. People grumbled about, grumbled about my leadership. You ought to see what I went through. When we started out, I thought for sure we would all be drowned. But God said he would clear the way, and boy, did he ever. Come on, says Moses, get your feet wet. You're not supposed to mind the water anyhow, if you're a Baptist particularly. You might do just like we did and walk through on dry ground. And even when God doesn't part the waters, he'll give you strength to stand on the shore. Come on, you can make it, says Moses. God knows where you are. And he's the same today as he was back in my day, you know. Oh, so many witnesses in your balcony. Oh, there's Joshua. But who's that near him? Who? Rahab? What is she doing here? You surely don't want her in your balcony, do you? What will people think? As one person of high social standing and what I hope was not in your church said to a person of the streets who had come to worship, what are you doing here? We built the mission for people like you. You may wonder, what is rehab doing in my balcony? I thought this was a place for the pure in heart. There's nothing pure about her heart or body or anything else. It seemed like Jesus met somebody like her at a well one day. But there sits Rahab in your balcony, giving witness to everybody who's ever fallen, to everybody who's ever wandered from the way, and don't suppose it can't happen to you. Rahab says, come on, come on. 
I have something wonderful to tell you. God is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He did not deal with me according to my sin. Come on, you can make it. You've fallen? Oh, I understand. Get up. Come on. You can start again. Oh, there are so many others in your balcony. There's Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David. Look, oh, over there is Samuel, faithful prophet of God. What is Samuel saying? He's saying, uh, listen. That's what God said. Listen when God speaks to you. Do what he says. I listened even as a child, and God brought me through a wonderful life. Troubles? Oh, yeah, I had my share of those too. I don't think King Saul liked it too much when I anointed David as king. But I did what God told me to do, and God was with me. God's the same today as he was back in my day, too. Come on, you can make it. Samuel did. Courageous man of prayer, inspired prophet, upright judge. Samuel says you, too, can be courageous, even in your old age. God has a place for you, as he did for me. You think you're too old to be used of God? I can tell you by my experience that as long as God leaves you on this earth, he has a place for you. Don't give up now. Come on, you can do it. Are there others in your balcony? I see some others in my balcony. The mother I lost when I was only nine years old is there, along with all those other heroes of the faith. My mother saying to me, come on, Kirk. The road is not as long as you think. You can make it. There's another. Oh, why, why didn't we see him first? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's there in my balcony, in, in your balcony, and he's praying for us. He's saying, Father, give them peace. Give them strength. Give them faith. Let them keep looking to me. Remind them that I will never leave them or forsake them. Such an assurance as that came in the year 1873 to a man named Horatio Spafford, who had planned a European trip for his family. At the last moment, because of business problems, he decided to remain in the United States. But he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead on the ship, the SS Ville de Haver. This was in November 1873. A few days later, the Ville de Haver was involved in a mid-sea accident with another ship, and the Ville de Haver sank to the bottom of the Atlantic in only 12 minutes. Mrs. Spafford was saved but all four of their daughters drowned. Upon reaching England, Mrs. Spafford cabled a message back to her husband in the States. The message had two words, saved alone. Immediately upon hearing this tragic news, Mr. Spafford left by ship to meet his wife in England. On the way there, he told the captain of the ship he was on, to inform him when they reached the approximate place in the ocean where his four daughters had drowned. And so at the appropriate time, the proper time, the captain told Mr. Spafford that they were now in the general vicinity of where his daughters had perished. Horatio Spafford then walked on the deck and gazed out at the calm sea. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a pen, a piece of paper, and he wrote these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll 
whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Who is in your balcony? A cloud of witnesses, yes, but also a Savior whose grace is always sufficient for our needs. And knowing this, we too can say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Heavenly Father, help us to be able to say this from our heart. When we have Jesus as our Savior, our guide, the one who loves us more than anybody in this world. Thank you for that love. Amen.